Hello and welcome to Vanguarded Dawn. My name is Ren and I'm here with my co-host Elisa. Hello. Welcome to our part one of the end of the year tea party. (laughs) So yeah, this whole episode is going to be completely raw. We're just going to be chatting. It's going to be a full length tea time pretty much. Yeah, so today we're going to be going over some of our favorite topics, some facts that we weren't able to include in the full episodes, and just our decision making and some of our creative liberties that we took throughout (laughs) The process of learning how to have a podcast. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, so I guess we should go ahead and get started. Let's start off. What kind of tea are you having, Elisa? I'm having Gain Maicho, which is a Cinch-style green tea with roasted rice and popcorn. It is literally a classic. I know we've had it multiple times on this show, but it just never gets old. It really doesn't. No. Also, like, listen, there's only so much tea that we can have. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what are you having? Today, I am having Bancha Hujijo, which is also a Japanese green tea. However, it is the roasted stems of tea. Throughout the season, I've been so irritated because naturally, I usually have such a wide range between like green teas and oolongs like I really love that classification of teas and I haven't had a lot of it on the show and it's because green tea does best when you don't use boiling water it actually has to be under boiling water it needs to be closer around like 170 to like mm, 180 is kind of the best range for green tea and oolong you can go to like maybe 190 but even then it kind of depends on what kind of oolong you're having i feel like the closer it is for green tea the cooler i want the water to be obviously but anyway because of that we haven't been having a lot because i'm lazy (laughs) because we used to have a temperature gauge we uh elisa like what was it two years ago two years I think one. Okay. So about a year ago, Elisa for my birthday bought me a temperature controlled electric tea kettle. So that was really great. And it made it so much better to have green tea. It broke a few months back. Actually, not even a few months back. It broke before we started doing the podcast. So we did have a lot of black tea, which is so interesting because it's not really indicative of our overall taste profile or preferences for tea. Yeah, we had an unorthodox amount of black tea and and herbal tassons. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is just not what we usually would do. Speaking of tea time, fun fact, I don't know if any of y'all watch Cat Black. She's a YouTuber. I'm obsessed with her. If you don't watch her, you should. I found her like about, mm, I would say about a month and a half ago. So we had started doing the podcast. We had already been doing it for a while, but she does something called True Tea. She does a segment called True Tea, and she has tea most of the time or she'll have wine or she'll be drinking something while she's doing it and I was like oh my gosh like wow Wow. (laughs) I was so endeared to her when I saw the first time I found her that's what made me connect with her because I was like she is my kind of person (laughs) (laughs) having tea while spilling it like love it (laughs) yeah so I guess I'll just get started with the first topic that I wanted to talk about which was the white supremacy series which is how we kicked off this podcast yeah yeah I think the structure of those episodes it's similar you can see where we started off and how it evolved into the current structure of the episodes but it's very much a bit more raw a bit um you can tell there was a level of unsureness as well with the podcast we were sure about the content that we were providing but we weren't quite sure about ourselves yet and I think that we knew that we were unsure with that, but we knew that we had to start somewhere. 
Like, it's always going to be a little cringy to start somewhere. But what better place to start with? Like, maybe we're not comfortable with our presence as podcasters yet, but we do have this awesome thing to tell everybody around. Well, it's not awesome. White supremacy is certainly not awesome. But there's so much information that we want to bring to the public and discuss on an open platform. So it's just start somewhere, you know? Yes. And I feel like what's interesting about that series in particular is every single fact that we were saying in that I could see how it was still directly affecting us in modern society. Yeah, I think as somebody who is a historian and has seen different facets of how to tell history, ideology and specifically things that have to do with identity ideology so gender studies race studies cultural studies on any level is so much more enriching when you come from an ideology perspective because it doesn't just tell you what happened it tells you why it happened knowing why things happened is how you keep history from just being this endless cycle philip defranco brought up that one quote like sometime last week in one of his episodes and he was like history doesn't always repeat itself but it often rhymes and that like oh my gosh yes which by the way we will be getting into that because yes you know we're gonna we're about to pop off about what happened with the election it's gonna come up and I'm gonna be talking about that more but yeah because of that it's important to understand why just as much as it is to understand what happened yeah I think for other people living here in the United States those white supremacy episodes and the civil war episodes through like reconstruction those are the ones that i especially want people to listen to i feel like that really just encapsulates why with the black lives matter movement and why there are just so many areas of reform that need to take place why it seems like everything in american history is under attack <laughs> and it's like yeah because every step of the way there were these calculated tactics that the people in charge were using to ensure that marginalized people stayed oppressed and i I think what's interesting is even more so than the calculated ones because there has always been people who are calculative with their moves when it comes to politics when it comes to money it's always the case however what's even more interesting is looking on the things that weren't actually calculated but added to the sickness like just small things when we were going over and comparing how things were in South Africa versus how they were in the United States slash North American colonies and sometimes they were really really calculated there was always a desire to keep people of color oppressed but also because there was always that innate desire some things just happened because that's the way they've always been like the the oppression stayed that way and i think that that's what we see so much more in our society today we see those sometimes unintentional things take place and that's where we learn the difference between it doesn't really matter if it was unintentional or not this is what happened this is what it led to this is why we need to change it because there are so many people that i think see themselves as good sold people who want to do right by everybody who don't want to make it hard for any person outside of their own race however they do contribute to the problem because I don't think we have a strong grasp of how unintentional some of those consequences are for us today because of the calculated things that happened back then. When people say, oh, why are things like this? I always want to shout from the rooftops. I'm like, oh, 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 I know. I can tell you. Like, 
<laughs> and and there really are like tr- you can really trace back these things that happened you can put into words and use vocabulary with and that's why we spend so much time like kind of building a really solid background of what we were trying to do we tackled the hardest stuff first I really do feel like we tackled some of the hardest topics right out the (laughs) get-go and we kind of took that opportunity to build this language and let people know hey if you start with the white supremacy episodes you will understand (laughs) so much about why things later on in history are so frustrating because it's like oh my gosh oh it's still happening (laughs) Yes, exactly. I think one of the strongest concepts that we discussed that really just resonates with me that I see like everywhere is the idea of the permanent strangers. Another thing from that series that really I was just like, how are people not seeing this? <laughs> I'm seeing this right before my eyes. Mm-hmm. And it was it was something that I knew, but um but to, to just have it pointed out very expressly and to be looking for it directly, I think that gave it like another, it hit different, <laughs> basically. <laughs> um, the denied rights of felons and how that's yes. exactly the same as the rights that they denied black people, both freed and slaves. That was actually something that I didn't know until we were researching. Like, you know the gist of it, but to see it laid out like that, that was something I came across with further research. And I was like, oh my gosh. I remember Elisa and I were actually together when we first looked that up and I just read it out to her. I read out the lines. What was it? It was specifically like felons. They couldn't testify in court. They couldn't vote. They couldn't own land or something like guns thank you own guns those were literally some of the main ways that white people kept black people so oppressed for so long they didn't allow them to testify against white people in court they didn't allow them to own guns and they didn't allow them to vote these were some simple tactics that they used throughout the years and for them to incorporate the same stuff in felons it was like what are you i mean it's so obvious what you're trying to do here because you're also when it came to sharecropping over policing and trying to get basically indentured workers for yourself aka slaves like it's literally you're you're doing the same thing here what do you why <laughs> like yes and some of the most powerful movements that we've had for black liberation have been to directly address these issues and these forms of um oppression like think about the black panthers and how they wanted our communities to be able to protect themselves yeah you bringing up the fact that you have conservative parents in a lot of different ways and some of the ways that black conservatism shows itself in a different way from what would be white conservatism is really interesting because conservativism I don't know how to say that word listen (laughs) conservatism okay that word and person that's what I said (laughs) both times but anyway yeah like it's so interesting to understand like when white people say they're gonna take our guns or something like that there's such a different vibe to what white people say when they say that versus when a black person acknowledges in full force that black people have been denied firearms forever Like forever in this country, there have been things keeping black people from firearms forever. So it just hits different. Yeah. And it gave me a different appreciation of my parents' conservatism. I still don't always agree with them. Right. (laughs) But we talked about how (laughs) a lot of conservative thought, it feels like they're having an argument like this is the way things have always been. That's why it should always be this way. But talking with my parents, it doesn't seem like that. 
Another thing that I wanted to discuss from those earlier episodes is capitalism. And I knew that I didn't like capitalism, but this just added another nail in the coffin for (laughs) me ever supporting capitalism at all. Like the way that it was used to further the oppression of marginalized peoples, but also the way that it rewards that behavior. Exploiting other people isn't is i mean it's a backbone of capitalism yeah that's how capitalism operates whoever exploits people the best is the one who gets winner takes all yes yeah and that's why i don't like joe jorgensen (laughs) (laughs) that's Um, why i don't like a lot of people (laughs) yes but unchecked capitalism just has always and will continue to be one of the greatest oppressors and i think that's why so many of these racial racially charged issues that we have in this country are also things that affect poor people yeah and i also would take a moment to point this out this isn't necessarily like a historic fact what i'm about to say i would say it's a historic observation so please keep that in mind when i say it i think that it's very interesting how often specifically black power movements are linked to communism for a couple different reasons i think that it's amplified by the more conservative media of the time of the time periods to make them overly attached to communistic ideas it's not necessarily untrue there were big figures in black history that have been super into communism that's not something that is untrue i mean langston himself was very interested in communism du bois which don't worry you know we're gonna talk about him at some point du bois was into communism there there is links to that throughout black history but it's interesting because communism is so vilified it's so vilified in the united states we often say because of russia we look to the cold war and a lot of people try to pinpoint that's when we started being afraid of communism but i wonder how much of it is slightly racially charged as well because because communism does offer or certain parts of communism does offer this equality that, of course, people who are oppressed in a capitalistic, non-communist environment are going to point out. What I'm saying is I think it's interesting that there's a consistent duality of the United States vilifying communism and communism being a big part of a lot of black power movements. I'm just saying I don't think it's an accident. That's the way that it is. I said what I said. (laughs) (laughs) And your mic was on when you said it. I guess I'll go over some of mine. So one of my favorite things that kind of happened, and I kind of just briefly touched on this, was just how the show took shape over time. Like we started off so awkward and unsure, but we knew that we were confident in the information. But then we kind of started developing like a little bit more and being like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll add a little joke in here. Another huge thing for me, a person who tells history, I'm always super aware that I'm a woman telling history and that always comes with skepticism. So when I was first writing the scripts or interacting with the information i was like i have to put this in a way that it will be respectable that people will listen to me and trust what i'm saying to them because i'm a woman and they'll hear my voice and they'll be like "Ugh, a woman teaching history like (laughs) and so there's a natural bias against that and so that's part of the reason why it took so long for us to get in the swing of making things sound more natural or a little bit more jokey here and there no matter how cringeworthy they are (laughs) i think it was an important step for us to kind of overcome and certainly as a historian but a woman historian having to deal with people (laughs) historically (laughs) not taking us seriously yeah and and there's also that 
cringe factor when you're making a joke and you're the only one there to laugh at it. I think that's why they add laugh tracks to sitcoms because it helps the audience receive it. And we obviously don't have any laugh tracks in here. But yeah, so sometimes some of the jokes we would make during the episode, but also the... um sponsors that we would have listening to it back it's always like i mean i think one thing to be aware we know we know how cringy it is when we're making it which kind of leads me to my next one that i want to talk about mo the the creation of mo so that kind of is an encapsulation of kind of everything we're talking about the persona of the show the vibe of the show the looseness of the show i think it's so integral when you're telling history to enrich the experience by adding things that are lighthearted. because i grew up loving history but i also grew up knowing fervently that history was really freaking boring when certain people tell it it's super boring and it's not that people don't connect with what the subject is about it's that it's told in such a stuffy stifling unironically uninteresting way it's just just horrible (laughs) sometimes (laughs) i remember there was a particular assignment i had in high school history where we literally had to take the dates of all the important events quote-unquote important events and put them in order and write like a paragraph about each and like this huge (laughs) packet and (laughs) That was not a fun assignment. It did not help us engage with history at all. And so I think definitely in creating this podcast, that was something we wanted to actively stay away from. The drudgery or droning that a lot of tellings of history take on. I completely agree with that. I think that history gets a bad rap. It's wicked interesting. It just is. History is super interesting. And I think it's a subject that is so easily soured to so many people because of the way they first receive the information. So yeah, we made things like Mo for you all to engage with in a more not boring way. Like, yes, it is unbearingly cringeworthy when I make the voice edit it and then know everybody's listening to it you have no idea how cringy i feel while doing that but i also feel it's super important i'm okay to add a little cringe as long as it helps people engage with a very important topic yes one of the things i love about mo is that they often present things in the form of a question and not everyone that is listening in that moment will be having that question but when you present it they will a either be like oh you know i do want to know that is an interesting question to ask i can see or they already know the answer to it and they're like oh i'm so glad they're addressing this um area of it so i I do like mo because even though we're not directly able to take people's questions while we're in the middle of an episode we can answer more obvious ones they might have yes and i think it also reminds us all that asking questions is okay it's okay to have questions that's why we're here i know that Another thing that we probably should address is that it definitely we are what people would probably consider bias. But I kind of want to talk about that in a little bit more explanation, because here's the thing. Yes, we are very open about our political views, but I want to make a distinction here. We make it known what we believe politically so you can understand where our biases lie. So you can take the information that we present you and be aware that this is coming from a person who believes what we believe. So you can use your own deductive reasoning and take the information that we give you and learn how to discern it for yourself and use your own judgment. Because what we do and what we'll always do is present information in the most 
clear, concise, and non-biased way possible. There is a reason why (laughs) a lot of our content feels like it comes to the same conclusion. And that's because when you're looking at history from an objective standpoint, it's really hard not to see a pattern. But also, that being said, the information that we give you, we will never, ever give you bias information. We are biased and we're open with our biases. We let you all know where we stand on things. But that doesn't mean that the information we're giving you is biased because the information we're giving you is just facts. Yes. And I think it's always super clear when we throw in something that is an opinion. Like when we say Langston Hughes was one of the greatest humans that ever lived. (laughs) To this day. <laughs> That's obviously an opinion. <laughs> yeah. But most of the stuff that we're saying are facts. This is what happened. So it's not disputable. Our bias can't influence the facts of what happened. And I think there's also something to be said about something else. There is so much content for history already that panders to a certain audience. We are also working really hard to create a history platform that is safe and respectful of everybody who takes part in listening to it. There are so many historians out there that are already telling history in such a particular and honestly biased way. We are also telling history, but instead we're telling history in a way that is more inviting and palatable for people who have not gotten that opportunity to experience history in a safe way before without feeling belittled or like they have to put their self-worth in a box when they listen to these subjects because it's not handled in a delicate way, but it's also so important for us to talk about what used to happen. And even though it's so hurtful to hear about some of these things, we have to talk about them. Everybody has to know about them, but that doesn't mean that we can't learn about them in a way that doesn't feel like an attack on our self-worth. Yes. And one of the things that I love about the script that you write, but also about when we go over it together, we're always trying to check and make sure that the language that we're using is one that will make the audience feel the most comfortable no matter who they are. I don't think we have the tendency to say things in a way that is problematic, but not being problematic isn't enough for us. We always want to strive to be uplifting and empowering instead. Yeah. And I actually, um, there's something that Elise and I were talking about last week just in regular conversation. And I mentioned that I feel like history should be told as if you're writing it in real time. You should always be aware. I think that this is a common thing. I mean, I've taken history classes. Obviously, I've taken a lot of history classes throughout the years. And what happens is you get into a classroom and sometimes you come across a professor that will say something very similar to or exactly like this. Well, that was just the way of things back then. That's just how things were back then. And they're right. Objectively, that is how society ran back then. There's no reason to pretend that's not true. But here's the difference. When you're asking people to be blasé about it, when they're hearing about it, what you're also doing, when they're the marginalized peoples in the story, what you're saying to them is, okay, put your self-worth in a box, put it away, and listen to history. That's not how it should feel when you're receiving information. You should feel like you're listening to something that genuinely happened from people who respect you and see how crappy it was when they're telling you this and have the compassion to be like, listen, this is horrible. And being able to tell that story in a respectful manner that makes people feel seen, heard, and safe while still knowing and being informed of something important. Yeah, because one of the things that happens when you discuss any race topics is if there's a person of color in the room, all eyes are on them. Like, are we doing a good job? 
are we are we doing and, and like validation like, yes and i never want our people of color who are listening to us to feel like we're just like oh am i doing a good job <laughs> yeah or like ah here is our token <laughs> token person of color <laughs> Yeah. How do you feel about this history? Because <laughs> like, sometimes when you're in a classroom and they're discussing the United States's history, it feels like they're like, look at you being free over there. How do you, how are you enjoying your don't freedom? Don't you feel great? Yeah, yeah. Like, don't you just want to thank all of them? Like, no, yes. like, it's or, horrible. Wow. Your ancestors past was so hard. Wow. Gosh. And it's like, please do not look at me for that like it's very condescending and yes. like you said it's like tokenization to its fullest <laughs> just very uninviting and i feel like for a long time history has been told and kept in a very uninviting manner i have looked at history for so long and been enamored by how exclusionary the subject is i i have so much passion about history but that doesn't mean i have passion about how it's told today we need to start making these changes we need to start learning how to tell history in a compassionate way while still informing but anyway <laughs> another one of the side notes i had of when i kind of i guess clocked when i think we started actually really feeling good and forming like a real vibe of the show the flow just felt like locked in i felt confident every week while editing i felt confident while writing alisa felt confident while performing her <laughs> things that she did like she was becoming so good at creating such good graphics so quickly and each one were interesting and fit the vibe of the show and aesthetic it was so great where i clocked that was when we had the name change and when we had the shout out from t it just was very validating and and filled me i know for me at least it filled me with a lot of confidence yes yes uh, specifically you know i'm going to talk about tina oh girl you mentioned <laughs> uh, girl you know um to see her in her videos that oh i gosh, had been I watching <laughs> i know not only play that clip specifically she played the clip where i was speaking and <laughs> your mic was on <laughs> it was on and to see her reacting to me loving her and she in that moment was like connecting with me yeah. i was like <gasps> and i think that just it was it was that personal connection to someone enjoying our content besides our parents <laughs> that i needed in order to feel that confidence in what we're doing yeah to have somebody that we respect so very much like when we talk about like cry trying to create a safe environment you want to talk about a safe environment that's t's content you can always watch a t video and know that she is going to provide the safest content and when she doesn't she's going to own up to it which is what we should all be doing because that's how we learn to create safe environments it's just you know that you are going to feel safe while listening to her content and i admire that so much and for somebody who has that same drive that we have for creating content content like that to notice us is just unbelievable that a person that we admire so much like T even knows that we exist like even if it is just for that one second knew that we exist and saw that we are putting in the same work to be the change in the world that we wanted to see like it was just very awesome and very heartwarming to say the least yes and I'm very aware of how much of an influence she has over her listeners. If she recommended something, I would be jumping on it. To see that happening in our favor 
was so interesting. Like our our numbers to this day do not touch (laughs) what happened right after that shout out she gave us. I'm always going to be so thankful to her for any success that we get in the future. Yeah. And and, and even outside of success, I'm going to be thankful to her for providing such content for her viewers and people trusting her so much because she's been trustworthy. There's a reason we trust her. She earned and created every drop of success that she's had more overwhelmingly so again it was less about it was never never about the numbers that we were receiving but more so just like so privileged to be linked to something as beautiful and amazing as the work that t does like her even saying our names out loud just felt like we're a part of an awesome change and it just felt really wonderful to be a part of it was never about the numbers it was just one way to calculate the awesomeness of what was going on you know yes switching back to some of my points (laughs) one thing that i thought was very interesting that i didn't realize that i did myself was referencing the declaration of independence versus the constitution Mm -hmm. now anytime someone's like (laughs) someone over glorifies the constitution i'm like ah that's rooted in racism, like most things. But it's it's so interesting because even the other day, I was talking with some co-workers about Barrett and how she's a constitutional originalist, which should not be allowed in any space at all, especially not the Supreme Court. But one of her, and trigger warning here, this is very upsetting. One of her worst decisions that she's made as a judge was deciding that these cops that murdered a black man that they were justified because that man didn't have the constitution does not guarantee the right to breathe i think the interesting thing about having conversations about the constitution is that it's so outdated like it was outdated the day that it came out because they wouldn't have any of our hearts and minds today they did not have a society like ours they don't even have a society that we should be striving for because my gosh look at how horribly wrong they were about so many things so many things so there's nothing about what they were doing besides not wanting britain to tell them how much their tea cost when it got shipped that was it like i appreciate it but at the same time that piece of paper was not written with anybody in this country in mind today besides people who are just like them that's why there's so much systemic things yes and even the people who were almost looking for equality for (laughs) most for most (laughs) for most they for the sake of compromise and getting which is my next topic is the compromises that we've Mm -hmm. had throughout the years but for the sake of compromise they gave up the protections for marginalized people. Marginalized people, that has always been the first thing to go when you're compromising with intolerance. Speaking of the compromises, being so heavily aware of the compromises throughout the year. I mean, literally, you could think of the compromise that started in the beginning, like the Constitution that we were just talking about. That was a freaking compromise. (laughs) Slavery was the compromise. Three-fifths during the census, a compromise. These are things that were compromised that were overtly pertaining to race, race issues specifically. And... Then we see again the Missouri Compromise and then we see the Compromise of 1850, like all these different compromises, all of them were 
literally with compromise in the word, the Missouri Compromise, the Compromise of 1850, were all having to do with slavery. And then we again see a compromise made and it wasn't called a compromise at the time. It didn't have the label of a compromise, but we saw another compromise when Ulysses Grant became president because then we had the North pull out of the South, which was 100% like another huge, huge compromise that led to literally the Jim Crow laws. So we see compromise. We see something called unity. People will say, oh, remember Abraham Lincoln said a house divided cannot stand like all these things. When we hear things like that being brought up, and I'm going to say it, when you hear Biden say it's time to unite America again, I'm not disparaging the idea that we should be united as a country. I'm not saying that there's anything overtly wrong with that. What I'm saying is this is the same language that we've used for years in this country to compromise the integrity of equality. And I think that we have to be careful because yes, I urge everybody who voted for Biden, who detested Trump to remember that we are supposed to be the compassionate ones. I urge everybody to remember compassion and mercy. However, when we think about mercy and compassion, we need to be careful how we extend that mercy and compassion. Because what we can't do, we cannot allow marginalized people to continue being marginalized again and again for the sake of compromise. That is always what this country has done. That is always the outcome of every time we say we need to be more unified. And I want to make it clear again, not against unification. I think we need to be clear about what unification means, because if we're going to be together, we need to be together equally. Yes, we we talked about that a lot first with white unity taking precedence in the past. Um, I mean, we have a whole episode called White Unity. Like, yes, <laughs> yes. And I am worried they're going to try and do that again. We've had the Black Lives Matter movement, but also I think this pandemic and being in quarantine have really opened a lot of people's eyes to a whole bunch of different systemic issues that need to be addressed. But there's a lot of division in the country right now. And with the rhetoric of unification, I am worried that marginalized people will again be sacrificed or fall through the cracks for the sake of getting back to a sense of normalcy or people wanting to be over with this period of turmoil. Yeah. And I think it is, again, this huge distinction between what we've seen forever. One of the first things I remarked, I posted this on Twitter. So if you follow us there, you probably saw me say this. I remarked about how marginalized people and specifically black voters were a big reason why Biden ended up winning. And I think that needs to be clear for a couple reasons. Black voters have been exploited by liberal politicians for years. And I use the word liberal because there was a party switch. So they have been used for liberal politician gain for years, ever since emancipation. That is not something to be ignored. This is another fine example how marginalized people's votes are going to be used to give a platform to a person. And he better be careful what he does with it. Because if you don't protect the people who voted for you, who voted you in, it was clear you were just interested in gaining the vote. And this is why we have to be careful. That's why I pointed it out the first time it was announced that Biden was going to be president-elect. I was like, okay, great. Let's talk numbers and the type of people who were the people giving him that platform he now has. They were marginalized people. They were queer people. They were people of color. And... I do worry about if that is going to be recognized historically in the future or if it's going to be something that we see follow through with because we rarely see follow through with that. Yes, because I could see how this would go in a way where they're talking about the history of race in this country 
and this is just another level they're like there was the civil rights movement but there was still some racial tension and we can see that when trump was elected but we didn't reelect him and racism was over yeah and i think that's exactly the exact type thing when you understand history you understand how it is starting to rhyme again here this is another example where a lot of people are going to become complacent they're gonna say things like oh it's okay because biden's in office i'm like oh i'm sorry is brianna taylor's murderers in jail yet no that hasn't changed he doesn't fix things he opens up doors for us to do things that will fix things that's the difference there's not an ounce of work that isn't left to be done yet there's so much we have to do we have people like Steve Stacey Abrams, which I will never not devote the rest of my life telling everybody about how amazing this woman is, because I cannot tell you how skeptical I was when I heard Georgia might be turning blue. I was like, okay, I can tell you right away. (laughs) I know exactly the moment Georgia seceded from the union. Georgia has been aggressively red for years. You cannot convince me (laughs) that Georgia will turn blue. Yeah. And for Georgia to come out of nowhere. And I did have a personal connection with uh, Georgia because... Oh my gosh, Rochelle. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I was receiving texts to help out someone named Rochelle (laughs) to vote in Georgia. But yes, so they accidentally were texting me and I, I had to like unsubscribe. But for weeks and weeks ahead of the election they were getting information out trying to make sure that she was able to vote and that she knew where her polling place was and knew her options for voting it was very very empowering to see that and so i didn't even realize i was witnessing the fruits of so much labor that i was getting this firsthand account of the activism that they were seeing in Georgia. And so I really do feel like it was because of the people on the ground working so hard to make sure that we can see changes in this election. Definitely. The the next thing I wanted to talk about is the movies that we referenced in our um, Civil War like series, specifically The Birth of a Nation and Gone with the Wind. And that was so interesting, the way that movies reflect the state of society, how pop culture has this huge influence over society. And even though the evidence, the proof is in the pudding right there, (laughs) you can see that it's completely not based in reality in any way. But because it conforms to the rhetoric that the p the powers that be want to push that confirms their deeply rooted biases and you can see why it would become beloved no definitely and you know interestingly enough so those movies that i brought up i actually did a lecture course on these movies when i was in school one of our professors at usao actually offers a or at the time when we went to school, offered a class that was a Civil War film, uh, basically analysis class. So I watched those for class. And those wa- that's why I actually picked the ones that I did to examine more closely, because it completely, I mean, it blew my mind when I was first receiving this information and they were explaining it to me. Like, yes, I knew about the Civil War. Yes, I had already taken the prerequisite class of the Civil War and I knew what had happened. But I had not realized how society had reacted to what happened during the Civil War. The Civil War is just so misconstrued. And I think those movies encapsulate the different times in our society looking pack. That's like, oh my gosh, that's how bad they really, uh, they really had no understanding of the Civil War in general, like at all. Speaking of the Civil War, 
that kind of leads me to my next little thing. I'm actually going to tell you all one of those more interesting facts that we weren't able to fit into the lectures. So this is actually this story is something that I learned in college from my professor. But I did, of course, for the podcast, research it, refresh my memory. But it is what is known as this is the official name if you wanted to look it up. This event is known as the caning of Charles Sumner or the Brooks Sumner Affair. My gosh. (laughs) Okay. I love this event so, so much. And yes, it is. uh, If you listen to our Civil War episode, I mentioned something about an old man beating another congressman on the floor of Congress (laughs) with his cane. (laughs) And I'm not going to go into a ton of detail about the beating because it's actually a really interesting event. There were other senators and representatives that actually took part in it, which is (laughs) really messed up. But anyway, there are two main ones that we're going to be focusing on. That's Representative Brooks and Representative Somner. Representative Brooks is, of course, the guy, the assailant in the whole thing. Representative Brooks is actually from South Carolina. And Representative Somner was from Massachusetts. So a Southerner and a Northerner. Who would have guessed it, right? (laughs) Something to be aware of about Somner is that he was a strong-willed and very vocal abolitionist. So he actually was known for making speeches that completely accosted Southern slave owners for owning slaves. So he made a particularly nasty speech about not actually even something towards Brooks. I mean, it was offensive to Southern people in general, but it wasn't actually something that he was saying about Brooks or to Brooks. It was actually something that he said about Brooks's relative, which tells you a lot about representation even back then. Lots of nepotism. (laughs) But anyway, what ended up happening is Brooks got word of all of the what he thought was outlandish things that Somner said. Again, let's talk about what he meant by outlandish. He was talking about Somner vilifying those who owned slaves. So... I don't know what he was really mad about. But anyway, there were actually some particularly icky things that Somner did uh, bring up in his speech, but it doesn't really matter to the context. He was saying something rude about (laughs) slave owners, which makes sense because slave owners suck. So what ended up happening is out of rage, Brooks was like, nah, you did not come for my fellow Southern gentlemen. No, sir. He actually apparently allegedly Brooks had sought counsel with some other people and he was going to originally challenge Somner to a duel. But then he's like, you know what? You're not even worth it. You're so disrespectful. I'm gonna beat you in your own office. So Brooks, with his very famous cane, this is a very infamous cane now, but we'll get into that. But anyway, so Brooks marches his butt up to Somner's office (laughs) And just starts beating him. And there were other Southern people not allowing other people to get into the room to help Somner. Somner was just getting like completely beat to a pulp with this dude's cane. And he actually beat him up so badly that his cane broke. Yeah, his cane broke. And he began to use like shattered parts of his cane. Like there's like, I think it's like a golden top, the golden top part of the cane and he just started like he took it in his palm and just like started like pounding on this dude's head it was it was really intense but anyway yeah he he almost he almost killed Somner that day and was really interesting like it's a, it's a wild story like that's why I think of that story every time I hear people talk about civil discourse now and how like oh you guys don't know how to disagree and I'm like um do you want to tell him or should I like <laughs> 
And you remember how I mentioned that the cane was infamous? Well, people actually, there were Southerner people in order to show solidarity for like basically saying that they agree with what Brooks had done, i.e. agreeing with him, like beating this man to a pulp because he said a few nasty things. Anyway, they would take relics of like little broken off pieces of the cane that had broken off while during the fight and they would like keep it like a token and be like, oh yes, I have this because I support everything that Brooks has done. It's It was totally crazy. And it was so interesting. What's really, really interesting about that story is not even that like a dude got murked in an official government building. <laughs> it was that the reactions of the South and the North were so revealing to how they felt about politics at the time. See, Southern people were like, that's what happens when you mess around with a Southerner, when you disrespect our integrity. But then the Northern people were like, bro, this is literally an open forum when we're supposed to be discussing politics and we're supposed to be allowed to disagree and you just beat them up because they disagreed. That's so disrespectful. So what was interesting about it was the long lasting reactions and how both parties kind of interacted with that event yes wow <laughs> yeah that is wow and that's something that's echoed that idea of the north and south and i'm saying north and south but it, this isn't something that isn't indicative of today because i mean it's the difference between republicans and democrats we see the same exact story being spun in completely different ways obviously bias <laughs> but like it's so interesting because i mean that can be mapped back from the beginning of everything i mean that's that's what they did with the caning of sumner but it's also what they did with john brown's raid they looked at john brown and the north celebrated him when he died they were like you were out here doing the lord's work give him a round of applause like they were proud of him <laughs> i'm proud of him i know john brown <laughs> mwah, love you but then the south responded and they were like my gosh how could you celebrate somebody who was so disrespectful to the south and i guess they're real big on respect <laughs> me a southerner knows that respect is a big deal <laughs> But anyway, yeah, it's totally crazy to see how both sides interact with those kind of events. All right. I think that's going to be a natural stopping point for the part one of Tea Party. <laughs> we will have a part two coming out. It will not be released next week, but two weeks from now. So don't worry. This isn't the end. <laughs> Until then, though, we'll go ahead and wrap up. Bye.